like to read from Isaiah, Isaiah 43 in verses uh, 18 and 19 here. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old because I am about to do a new thing and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And these words are just as true today as they were written many, many years ago. Do we perceive a new thing happening in our world? Do we see new beginnings and hope? Do we see changes in our our systems and our way of thinking? Do we perceive a new thing? And then I'd also like to read from uh, Revelation. Someone mentioned the word fear. Sometimes we have this great fear of Revelation, but uh, <laughs> the book of Revelation, but it's actually a, uh, a book uh, of, great, of great hope and great change. And I'd like to start here with verse three, uh, uh, chapter 21, verse three here. <clears throat> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them and they will be God's people. And God himself will be with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. What a a great passage in this vision of where we are heading, of great hope and reconciliation there. And then I wanted to share uh, just a couple quotes on hope, one from Martin Luther King. And and sometimes we read history and, and, it, and they'll, they'll maybe explain like 50 years or 100 years of history in like one sentence. And we forget about the type of endurance and the perseverance and the hope people of faith had to have to seek that change and know it was going to be a reality someday. And so King said, and he he said this a couple months before he was assassinated. And he said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. We must never lose infinite hope. And then also wanted to read from um, Emily Dickinson, the poet. And she says, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And so she's saying the same thing King said, that hope is eternal. Hope is infinite. I think hope gives us that, that courage and the strength to get up each morning and know, have a conviction that things do change for the better and that God is working through our our world there. And so as we take some time just to kind of pray and think about the nature of hope, how would you describe hope or how important, how much hope do you have in your life in our country? How would you describe or define hope? And then how much hope do you have not only in yourself there, but like in our world there. So let's take a few moments just to, to pray uh, silently and ponder that, that nature of hope. So let us pray.
some of those saints from 500, 600 years ago and, and knowing that people have gone through this before, it's not new and they survived and flourished and, and we can draw strength uh, from their witness in their lives and, uh, and we can carry on as we move towards uh, the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God here on earth. So uh, <clears throat> I had a, just a few thoughts and most of you covered uh, all of this in your comments, but just to add a little bit to it and just think about what is hope and, and what is uh, the value or the, the merit of hope. And I started off um, with this kind of a strange thing from Dorothy Day, who was one of my heroes of faith. And um, I just draw a lot of strength from her because her, her life was so rich, but also so difficult. And she uh, started this Catholic workers movement <clears throat> and they had homes and houses <clears throat> all across the U.S. And they welcomed anyone into their home that needed a, a shelter or a place to stay. And they offered a bed and meals to them. <clears throat> and uh, the, the residents of these Catholic worker homes, they knew that Dorothy believed completely in that love and grace of God and that she would never turn anyone away. And she would also never turn anybody out. That she wouldn't say, oh, you have to leave here. <laughs> and so at one time she had a farm and she had some people that were squatting on the Catholic workers farm and they weren't participating in the community, helping out with the chores and the meals. And, <clears throat> and so they were taking advantage of this unconditional love that Dorothy Day offered because they knew she wasn't going to kick them out. And she fretted over this for a long time. These people are, are dissenting from our community, from our way of life. And she didn't know what to do. And so it's, it's kind of funny and kind of sad at the same time. So what she finally did is <clears throat> she sold the farm. <laughs> so everybody had to leave. And then she bought another farm. And then she said, love is such a dreadful thing for God to ask of us. And, that, and a person who's dedicated and surrendered their life to loving God and loving people can say that. Love is such a dreadful thing for God to ask of us. Because as we know, love is very difficult. It's very challenging. But it is the solution, I believe firmly, to all of our problems in the world. Love. But love is very challenging. Sometimes we just want to kick people out and just start all over again. But I believe it is the answer. And it's also, but it's so much easier for us to hate someone than to love someone. It's easier to destroy a relationship or to destroy a church or a community. It's so much easier to do that than to build a relationship, to build a church in a community, in a nation. It takes years and years and so much hard work to build up trust and confidence and belief in one another. But just one unkind act or some words spoken out of anger 
can destroy all that trust in just like a snap of the fingers to destroy those bonds that, that tie us together. And that's why that <clears throat> song we sing is so powerful. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. And it's hard work to build those ties that, that bind us together. And these last few months, you know, since the pandemic has started and all of our political strife and riots and protests, all these things ha have been really um, quite difficult uh, for me and maybe for you as well. And, and, and just millions of people, not only here in our nation, but throughout the world. And I think we can say our world is literally and figuratively on fire. I was just looking at those fires up at up at Estes Park and just all the time that you know that we've spent up there and just seeing everything burn down. And it seems like everything is burning or crashing down. And what gives us the fuel to carry on, to believe in the future? What gives us the courage to plant those trees and those crops and to plant seeds? of love and goodness, and it's hope. It's having hope that things indeed can change. The Reverend Jim Wallace, he wrote a, a really wonderful book. It's called God's Politics. And he says, the biggest struggle of our time, think of all the issues that we are facing as individuals, as a nation, and as a world community, and especially even as a church. And he says, the biggest struggle of our time is the fundamental choice between cynicism and hope. And that's a spiritual choice that we make. Do we choose cynicism or do we choose hope? And John Deere, he's a, a Jesuit priest, uh, and uh, he was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, and he's, uh, he's living in northern New Mexico. I'd love to find out where he's living and go up and just talk to him sometime. But he says, uh, the challenge to remain hopeful in the face of violence in ourselves, in, in, in our world, is perhaps the greatest challenge of all. Can we remain hopeful? Now, some of you mentioned that hope being a conviction, that this will happen, that the, the struggles that we have and, and the violence and the anger and the cynicism, that this too shall pass and hope will remain. And the choice that we make between hope and cynicism is a spiritual one with huge consequences. If we want to change the world, if we want to help bring that kingdom here on earth, we choose hope. Cynicism is, is like anger and violence and revenge. It, it is very easy to be cynical, to be negative. It, it, cynicism is very familiar and it's comfortable in many ways. Now, some of you mentioned we can listen to the news any news channel and we'll get a good dose of cynicism and listen to talk radio. We can go to our cafes and, 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 and uh, coffee shops 
and we can hear tons and tons of cynicism. But how much hope do we digest and drink? Because our God is a God of hope. And in regards to cynicism, Jim Wallace says, cynicism protects us from seeming foolish. Have you ever done that? Well, I don't want to look like I'm foolish to actually believe that things could change and will change. Cynicism finds love and compassion ridiculous. It's foolish to think that love can change, can change the world, to forgive one another, to, to love your enemies. Cynicism rebuffs the nature of God because we need to protect ourselves. We need to bear arms. We need to shoot first and ask questions later. This is the nature of cynicism. And cynicism protects us from disappointment and insecurity. Never trust anyone. I've shared with you before, I remember our kids coming home from kindergarten and asking them, what did you learn today? And they were taught stranger danger, stranger danger. And we do need to be aware and we need to be on our toes and, and realize that there is danger in the world. But God also says, love your neighbor. And there's that, that tension there. Cynicism also protects us from commitment. Why should I bother to get married? Or why should I even be a part of a church? They're just going to let us down because they're all frauds and, and hypocrites. So we protect ourselves by never believing in the goodness, in the truth, in the grace of people and institutions. But we do have a choice. We can choose hope instead of cynicism. The saints and the cynics alike, and I'm borrowing this from Jim Wallace here. He says, saints and cynics are both firmly rooted and aware of the violence, the brokenness, the evil, and the corruption of our world. And then he asked a question, what's the difference between a saint and a cynic? And he said, there's only one word, hope. Saints have hope. Saints and cynics alike look at the world very realistically, but saints have hope. And hope is the belief, it's the conviction that people, that systems, and that circumstances can change. That that grace and love of God is working through us and through our world to create heaven here on earth. And there's where we have those words about the lion and the lamb will lie down together. And Jesus says, we will all be one. And there will be war no more, no more. These are all statements of hope. It's a, a vision of who we are called to be as people. <clears throat> and this is where Martin Luther King, you know, is a, a very hopeful person of faith. I don't think we can call ourselves a person of faith if we don't have hope. And King says, who knows the harshness and the violence and the cruelty of the systems of our world, he says, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. 
And this is what gave him and, and the people of the civil rights movement the courage and the endurance to go through and to challenge that status quo. Because they had the hope that God was working through them to make the world a better place to be. And I like the word, I think you used it, Ilga, it was a, it's a conviction. I might not see this truth, this love come to be, but it is going to happen because we are all children of God. We are all loved and we all have dignity and value. And if we live, so as we live with hope, we keep our eyes on that promised land, the land of milk and honey, the place of peace and reconciliation, where the streets are of gold and beauty, where the lion and the lamb lie down together. And as I mentioned, there will be war no more. It's a vision of hope that becomes a conviction. And that vision becomes so strong that we live our lives to make the reality, a new reality, a new world. So we keep our eyes on the promised land while fully recognizing that we live in a Good Friday world. But Good Friday is not permanent. That's our hope that we live with. Things change. And I would claim that all the great movements in our history, the, the paradigm shifts, the, the changes in collective consciousness, they all come from great hope. That conviction that people and systems will change. It is inevitable that change will happen. And these movements, and then we can just look at our own personal life, the movement of change becoming more like Christ, it's usually a slow movement. And the mystic uh, Thomas Merton, he said, do not depend on the hope of results. If we're expecting the world to be a nonviolent, peaceful place tomorrow, we're going to be severely disappointed. But if our conviction is that that change is happening person by person, then we can live with the hope that change is gonna come. And that was a song there by uh, Sam Cooke. He wrote it in 1963. It became a, an anthem in the civil rights movement. He said, change is gonna come. And he knew it. And much like King, he was shot and killed shortly after that song was published and, and recorded. Think about the, the just all these movements of hope, our quest to end slavery in our country and how long people had to endure, but they had hope. Our system of segregation, the civil rights movement, the women's right to vote, all were held on to the hope against enormous odds. They were powerless people, had conviction. This will change. The people of South Africa stood against stood for hope and reconciliation for decades against that system of apartheid. And what did they have? All they had was hope and conviction that God was working through them and their country and that this system of oppression would end. Mandela and Desmond Tutu and all those people, they were people of hope that all things are possible, things do change for the better. 
and we can look at the hopeful nonviolent struggles in the late 1980s and early 1990s, the, the, the struggles that, that were in Poland and East Germany and Czechoslovakia and Bulgaria and Hungary. And all these places had change. And that Berlin Wall that people said it will never come down. It went down brick by brick. Just people of faith who had hope. I love reading these songs, or not songs, but hearing these stories of people in East Germany. They would go out to that wall. They initially met in people's houses, and they prayed, and they sang those songs of hope. And they'd go out and sing in front of that wall. It was like two or three people, and then it just grew and grew until finally there were thousands of people singing songs of hope and possibility. And one day they tore that wall down brick by brick. All because of their hope. The conviction that God is working through us for a better world. So hope sustains us and gives us purpose. It gives us a reason to, to get up in the morning. It gives us a reason to sing a song or to march against all odds because we firmly believe that heaven is coming here on earth. And I love that song that I mentioned from Sam Cooke. Change is going to come. And when you hear him sing, you can just tell there's deep pain in his voice. But there's also the hope. Great hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And just to hear those words from Revelation again. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And my prayer for all of us here today is that we may choose hope over cynicism. And when we catch ourselves being cynical and negative, that we just remind ourselves that we are people of hope, that we may choose God, that we may choose Jesus's vision for our new world, because we know we have conviction that change is going to come. Amen.